Hola. You're listening to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Today is Sunday, February 19th, 2023, and it is a nice, warm, probably 76 degrees, maybe 74 here in sunny South Texas, the dead of winter, mid-February. you got to love it, man. You cannot complain about warm winters. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you tuning in. Be aware that this podcast has not much to do with the title. I used to live down in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, and I had a business there. And this podcast started uh, to chronicle my experiences in living in a third world country. Well, I guess... We're not supposed to say third world anymore. Living in a developing country, how about that? One of my unpopular opinions, however, is that we should be willing and able to share our unpopular opinions with one another. Because if we don't, we just bottle them up inside and they end up spewing out on social media. I think the world would be a lot better place if we could all disagree without being so dang disagreeable. Because contrary to popular current beliefs, we can have different opinions and still be friends. Now, maybe we will, maybe we won't. We shouldn't discount the opportunity. I don't expect everyone to agree with everything I say. In fact, I hope people disagree with it. Because if you disagree with me on some things, and you agree with me on others, it shows to me you're using your own brain. Which is something most people don't do these days. All that aside, if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I do not do pre-recorded intros. And I do sell the world's greatest hammocks. If you're looking for a hammock, possibly the best hammock in the world. No, not possibly. If you're looking for the world's best hammock, check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Literally the best hammocks in the world. They're not cheap, but they're high quality. Go check them out. Worldsbesthammocks.com. Now that my intro has breached the two-minute mark, sit back, relax, let me steer the bulldozer for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. I don't know why I say that. It's probably going to be an hour. I need to see this is programmed into my head. Because even though my intros are not pre-recorded, I have them. I just kind of repeat the same things and I change it up a little bit. Now we're at 2 minutes 40 seconds. Okay, time for the show. doing a podcast is like it's kind of like going to the gym i'll just tell you this i start the day thinking man i don't know if i want to do the podcast 
I gotta think through everything and go through it all in my head and make sure it all makes sense, even though sometimes it doesn't. I gotta spend two hours out of my basically one day off every two weeks and edit it and yada, yada, yada. But when you sit down and you start recording, it's worth it. And then at the end of the day, when you're done editing and you hit that publish button, it's a little bit more worth it. But imagine how much worth it it would be if I actually heard back from the people that I speak to. Just keep that in mind. After enough time, I, I may just quit. I will just go dark and you'll be like, dang, I really enjoyed listening to that guy. Well, maybe you should have freaking told him that. Or maybe I'll just start recording it for myself and not sharing them. It's tough, man. Imagine going to the gym and working out for like three years and not one person <laughs> ever says, hey, man, you lost weight? You look good. Or, man, you're building some muscle, you know? And that's not why people do it. But at the same time, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to know that people are enjoying the art you're creating. That's all I'm saying. That's it. I see people download this podcast all over the world, and I want to know so bad who they are, where they're from, what language they speak, what do they eat for dinner, what do they drive, what kind of clothes they wear, where do they go to work, what do they do in their spare time, how do they pay the bill. I want to know all these things about people. If you are a person and you are listening and you're not from the United States of America or Canada or anywhere in the North American continent, I would love to hear from you. And I would love to have you on this podcast because most Americans, we get trapped in the American bubble. And if you haven't traveled much outside the country, or if you've only gone to all-inclusive resorts or on cruises, then you really don't know how people live. You've never seen it with your own eyes. And for whatever reason, it really interests me to know how other people live. And it's partly because it makes me feel grateful for how great we have it because I was kind of in that same position before I'd moved to Nicaragua, took a couple years off of life, traveled the world, and I saw lots of things in a short amount of time. And seeing all that made me realize how great we have it here. And there is no better country to live in, work in, play in. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't be better. A lot of people tend to think that just because you sing the praises of the USA means there's no room for improvement. Of course there's room for improvement. There's always room to improve anything. But there's also times that it's important to realize how great you have it. So if you get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the stress of life, look around you. Chances are you've got multiple vehicles at your house. You've got air conditioning and heating inside your home. You can turn the lights on the flick of a switch. You can push a button on your food, on your <laughs> push a button on your phone and have food brought to you. Lots of people can start their cars from inside their house. People take their dogs with them everywhere they go. People are fat. Dogs are fat. People spend hundreds of dollars a month on their dog harnesses and stupid things that, you know what? It's their money, their dog. They can do whatever they want to do. But it's hard for me to listen to people sit here and complain about how bad things are when they have a $1,200 phone in their hands. I don't know of any other countries where... Construction workers and movie stars both have the exact same devices. You know, that's crazy. I mean, they have access to them in other countries, but typically the people who are doing the manual labor don't share anything with movie stars. You know, they don't 
They don't live the same life. They don't travel in the same vehicles. They don't eat the same food. But they do have the same phones. And to me, that's remarkable. I learned the other day that Apple's, Apple's net profit per employee per year is $500,000. And what that means is that after Apple pays all their bills at the end of the year, this includes their labor, all the light bills, the manufacturing of their phones, the software products, all the things that Apple pays every year. Whenever the smoke clears, they have enough money if they wanted to to hand every single employee $500,000. And that's insane. That's insane. Think about like, um, oh, I don't know. Let's think about like a, a meat market or a butcher shop, right? He might have six or seven employees. He might do six or $700,000 of sales per year, right? So he does six or $700,000 of sales per year. Chances are he'll end up with $70,000, the owner of the of the meat market or the butcher shop. Average butcher, butcher shop, average city, nothing special, right? Just a hometown butcher shop ends up with $70,000. So now he can take that $70,000 and give a little bit to all of his employees. Well, how much can he give to each employee? He can only give 10,000, right? If he's got 7,000 employees, or sorry, if he's got seven employees and $70,000 worth of profit to distribute, you're talking $10,000 per employee compared to Apple, who does $500,000 per employee. And this is why these big tech companies can afford to do things like have massage rooms and have all the paid time off you want and have people come to your house to give you one-on-one -on -one mental health sessions and massage. And this is why they can afford to do this because their profit margins are so high because these companies grew so big so fast that no one can compete with them. And because of that, they can pretty much set their prices wherever they want to. And because of that, they make lots and lots and lots of profit. And if you really want to go after the greedy corporations who aren't paying their fair share, then go after people like Apple and Google. You know, we're so one-sided in who we chase after. To, in the demand for more taxes and equity and better pay, we don't go after the big tech people. I don't know why. Well, yes, I kind of do know why. But it should be known that these people make gobs and gobs and gobs of money. And then if we're going to tell people they got to pay their fair share... We should include these people as well because nobody is making more profit than big tech companies. I don't know why I spun off on that tangent, but I did. And these 10-minute tangents are why my podcasts are now an hour long. So some may like it. Some may hate it. We are who we are. But what I really wanted to talk about before I went off on the tangent about the Apple revenue per employee was Joe Biden and his stance on taxes. Hey, what's up? I ain't going nowhere. Oh, yeah? I'm still gonna be right back in the streets. You dig? Because I'm innocent. I don't care what nobody, nobody got to say. I love that line. I don't care what nobody got to say. You know, it makes me feel like I don't care what any of you have to say to me. I'm innocent. I, I use that line all the time. I don't care what nobody got to say. You dig? Because I'm innocent. I don't care what nobody oh, got to say. say. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, back to uh, Slurry Joe and his stance on taxes. Now, he thinks that the tax system is broken in the U.S. and that it's not fair, that the way we do taxes aren't fair. Now, I may not disagree with him because 
calling taxes fair is just silly. I think taxes are unfair in general. Tax rates will continue to go up until we turn into a socialist country. That's just the way it goes. I'm going to touch a little bit more on this later. But we will continue raising taxes in perpetuity because we're too stupid to create efficiency within the government. And we're conditioned to hiring people who just want to show up for a paycheck and just go home. We're not hiring people in the government who are aggressive and assertive and decision makers, which, you know, not everyone has to be that. But in order to gain efficiency, you have to have the types of people who are looking to gain efficiency. I'm a capitalist, but pay your fair share. What does that mean? I think a lot of you at home, a lot of you at home agree with me and many people that you know. Whisper. The tax system is not fair. It is not fair. Now, undoubtedly, someone is sitting there going, Well, Brandon, you just said it wasn't fair, and he said it wasn't fair, too. So that means you agree with Joe Biden. Which, yeah, kind of I do. Maybe the tax system isn't fair. I think the tax system isn't fair because it doesn't tax everyone equally. It taxes some people at a higher rate than other people. And I promise you, I am not at the highest rate of the tax brackets. Nowhere near. In fact, I haven't made so little money in the past two or three years. I haven't paid income taxes. I haven't paid hardly anything. So I'm not saying this because I want it to benefit me. I would be willing to pay 10% in income taxes, although I was paying zero, in order to know that the guy who paid billions of dollars in taxes also only paid 10%. We need to cut the government's paycheck because they are inefficient. Now, the whole point of this is that, okay, yes, I think taxes are unfair, and so does Joe Biden, apparently. But the difference between me and old mushy mouth is that I haven't been in Congress for 50 years. <laughs> 50 years. This guy has been there. What has he gotten done? What can he take credit for? You tell me, bro, you've been in power for 50 years, and you're going to sit here and tell me how unfair the system is, and you've had 50 years to change it, and you can't do it, and now all of a sudden you're president and you got all this power? Ugh, who are we kidding? This is such a clown show. And I'm beginning to see it's not just Joe Biden. Our political system is a freaking three-ring circus all across the board. Here's another example. Now, I've made lots of fun of Bernie Sanders on here before. But you know what? Here's one thing I admire about Bernie is that he stands on his viewpoints and he doesn't change. And throughout his ancient rule of Congress or governor or whatever he's been, he hasn't changed much. His, his rules are take all the money from all the rich people and give it to all the poor people. Then we won't have any more poor people. That's Bernie Sanders' platform. He's always said that. So I respect that about him. Let me ask you a question, Joe. Yeah. You're right here with me. Yeah. Have you been on the floor of the Senate? You were in the Senate for a few years. Yeah. Time and time again, talking about the necessity, with pride, about cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting veterans programs. No. You never said that? No, 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 no. I don't know. I don't think you guys understand how much I make myself laugh <laughs> with this podcast. I'm sorry. It's a little self-absorbed to laugh at my own jokes, but I do every now and then. I had to do it. I had. I heard him saying no, no. 
And then I was like, I'm going to play no, 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 no over again. And I said, that sounds just like Bohemian Rhapsody, you know? So here is uh, Joe Marble Mouth Biden from 1995, January, January 31st, 1995. Samba doing the exact opposite of what he's mad about. He's mad about cutting Social Security and Medicare. Well, here he is talking about three, not three, but four times trying to get it cut. I'm up for re-election this year, and I'm going to remind everybody what I did at home, which is going to cost me politically. I, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans' benefits. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it the third time, and I tried it the fourth time. Somebody has to tell me in here how we're going to do this hard work without dealing with any of those sacred cows, some deserving more protection than others. I'm not quite sure how you get from here to there. Imagine that. He's not certain how to get from here to there. You know, I, I guess these people, these old guys that don't understand technology, just assume that we're not going to go look this stuff up. That we're not going to go pull his record and say, hey, you're lying. Like, that's what gives me hope. What gives me hope is to see how much these people contradict themselves and how now we have a way to show everyone. If you voted for Biden, this should upset you. If you hate Joe Biden, this should upset you. Stop hiding behind your political affiliation and covering up your eyes. Because they are taking advantage of all of us. And it's this hypocrisy. It's this backtracking. It's this double talk. It's this flip-flopping that shows me that they're not in it for them. That their morality and their principles and their values change with the times. And is that who we want? Do we want someone who is willing to adjust their morals and their values and their standards to get elected or do we want people who stand on their morals and values to get elected? And I completely understand that throughout time, morals and values change. And I think that politicians should step in. The people who evolve with different morals and standards and values, if they want to participate in the political process until their viewpoints become obsolete, that's what they should do. They shouldn't be willing to just bend with the times and change their standards because we're not talking about hairstyles. We're not talking about what color suits they wear, how much their ties cost. We're talking about their core beliefs, their principles. How many people do you know over the age of 50 that have changed anything about their, their political viewpoints, their religious viewpoints, their social viewpoints, what they think is right, what they think is wrong? You see, you don't know anyone because after a certain age, certain amount of exposure to things, your ways are set. But these politicians expect us to believe that nothing, that they just change with the wind and they're always looking out for us? How can you be looking out for your constituents when you're willing to, to waver on your morals? I mean, it's just, it is mind-boggling to me that this doesn't this didn't piss people off. Like this is, this is something that should turn everyone on the government. And I don't mean with pitchforks and torches. I mean, just hold them accountable. You know, if you voted for Joe Biden, this should piss you off. You should tweet this or whatever you do to express your frustration. You should go organize a march or whatever you do and say, hey, we voted for you 
and now you're saying the opposite of what you said. Which is true, homeboy. If only we had somebody like Slurry Joe to, to turbocharge our climate initiative. That our significant climate investment will, quote, help turbocharge. Nope. The emerge the nope. Ener- the, er, nope. the nope. excuse me Tur- turbocharge the emerging global clean energy co- nope. clean energy economy. What's wrong with you? I was reading their quote. Sorry. Okay, no worries. It's all good. Okay, Joe Biden. You know what? There's nothing in the world that Joe Biden can turbocharge. I'm sorry. He tries. It's cute. He's old, but there will be no turbocharging of anything anytime soon. Sloppy Joe. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. It's a fully, am I, I'm not joking. Yeah, he's not, which is funny because I kind of thought he was joking there for a second, but I'm glad to know it was not a joke. Not a joke. And all of that leads me beautifully into my next topic, which, if I do say so myself, which I will. Why are we putting people, why are we allowing people to stay in power who have significant cognitive decline. I learned the other day that Diane Feinstein, which I think she was a congressperson from California. You know, I don't I have a hard time keeping up with the titles of these people that I don't care for who are all normally from California. And they would love everyone in the entire country to know their title. You see there's certain kinds of people who titles are very important to. And I'm not one of them. I don't think people should ask other people to call them doctor, insert last name, or, you know, what, what is the other, Esquire? Like, I think titles are silly. That's just the way, just my opinion. You may like titles. You may think that Diane Feinstein has put in her time and she deserves a title. That's fine. We're two very different people. But Diane Feinstein's turning 90. I think she's stepping down or she's announced that she's not going to rerun for election Oh, how magnanimous of you, Diane. Way, way to put the country first and just put your career down to rest and know that you've just done amazing things for the state of California and the citizens of this country. 90. 90 years old. I can't say it enough. Nine zero. Ninety. 90. Hey, Siri, when was Diane Feinstein born? Diane Feinstein was born June 22nd, 1933 and is 89 years old. So she'll be turning 90 in June, okay, 1933. What do you think's changed since 1933? A lot, as Joe Biden would say. A lot's changed. Now, there's nothing wrong with being 93, nothing at all. I respect old people. I think they're generally wise, and they have lots of great opinions, and they've seen things. Now, that is different than leadership, okay? Wisdom and leadership are two very different things. This is why it boggles my mind that we don't run these people out of politics. Now, I don't mean like in a rude way or disrespectful or to give them the boot. I just mean we're not willing to tell them that their time is up, which is so odd to me. Because if you look at nature, you look at a pride of lions or a pack of hyenas, right? The the old ones get run out eventually, right? Because they're not capable of of doing what it is that tribe needs them to do, or the pride, or whatever, the group, or whatever. Other cultures did this. The Native Americans, you know, the the up-and-coming warrior would would challenge the chief. And if the chief decided to to fight him, they would have to duke it out, and the winner would, would remain or become the leader of the tribe. Now, I'm not suggesting that by any means, okay? 
but just recently we've decided, well, we should just leave old people in office. And why do you think that is? Why have we decided that now we don't run people out who are incompetent anymore? Well, I'll tell you why. Here's a little secret. Because those are the people who have the most connections in politics. And when they like to say things like, I'm just going to work and just go to work, get things done for people, what they mean is, I'm very well connected. I've been doing this for 50 years. I know everyone in every sector of the federal government. If you need regulations lifted on the down low, I'm your guy. If you need me to add some laws over here, I'm your guy. I need some campaign contributions, but in exchange, I can get this done, right? The spider web becomes huge and immense after 50 years. So people who have interests other than the government being led by the most effective people have the power to leave people there or take them out. And if that's not true, if you think I'm not being truthful about that, tell me how in the world Joe Biden won the election. Is he not? The, is he the best person that half the country could come up with? Is he the most profound leader that we could supply? I don't care if you hate Trump. I don't care how much you hate Trump. Can you not come up with someone better than Joe freaking Biden? I mean, the guy, well, I, you, know, <laughs> you know how I feel about him. I'm not going to say the guy anything. But why don't we push them out? We, the people, we've lost control. The voters have lost control of the government. All we do is get to go, all we get to go is on election day and pick this loser or that loser. That's it. We get to pick whichever loser because the choices is one of two losers. But I'll tell you what, go in there Washington DC and just get stuff done. You cannot stop Brendan. You can only hope to contain him. Speaking of get stuff done, here's the White House press secretary, or is it spokesperson? I don't know what it is. Karine Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. I don't know what her name is. Karine, Karine something or other. You know, one of these people that tries to be all French, tries to sound all French. I don't know. I'm just making fun of her name. Chances are she's an extraordinarily nice individual who likes to speak very properly and is condescending at times to people who do not see things the way that she sees them. But nonetheless... It's these kind of clips that I live for. Okay, here's the White House press secretary. She checks all the boxes, right? She's left-handed, black, immigrant, lesbian, something or other, you know, and but so they picked her on those on those grounds, right? They picked her for the wrong reasons in my opinion, but when you do that, this is what you get. Why is why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a it, part of a it, it's a it's a what you call a coalition, a coalition. Exactly, and so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in in uh, in uh, clearly in in in, in, in step with uh, right. Canada. Uh, with Canada, with Canada, you are the White House spokesperson. You speak for the entire White House. The entire president, his cabinet, everybody, the executive branch, you speak on their behalf. And when asked, why did we shoot these things down? All you can do is say because of NORAD. You couldn't say something along the lines of, we shut it down because we didn't know if it was a threat. It was infringing on airspace that could have been dangerous to um, private aircraft. And so we felt the need that it was it was best to shoot it down given the uncertainty and the dangers it presented. Now, we shot it down as Americans over Canada because this was a decision made by NORAD. 
And as you know, NORAD is a coalition of America and Canadian forces that decide together how to patrol our airspace because we live so close together. That's it. She couldn't do that. That's all she does is stutter and stutter and stutter. I don't know. I wonder how much she gets paid. How much? How much could I get paid? Why is why is the American military shooting something? out of the sky over Canada. Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a, it, part of a, it, it's a, it's a, what you call a coalition, a consortium, a, 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 so, a pact, okay. exactly. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that. Again, it, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in, in, uh, in, uh, it clearly in, 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 in step with uh, right. Canada. Yeah. Not, what did you do? Well, we shut it down. We know, we know you shut it down. The question was, why? Why did we shoot it down? And she couldn't even answer the question, you know. And if she's lying, if she just didn't want to say, if they told her, hey, now, KJP, when you go out there, we don't want to tell anyone why we shut it down. Then you can say something like, well, all the details as to why we shut it down, we're not willing to disclose. We have our own list of reasons, but we feel like it's not something that we're going to put out there because some of these things are top secret or they're classified. We don't want that information to get out there. So we're not going to give our exact reasoning, but know that we did it in conjunction with NORAD, which means the Canadians were on board too. Both countries agreed it was to our best interest to take this thing out of the sky. No, you couldn't even do that. You stutter and you mumble and you can't get through a sentence. And your job is to speak to people and reporters about what's happening in the White House. I mean... Tell me I'm crazy. Call me a racist. Call me a misogynist. Call me whatever phobe you want to call me. I'm just saying that we're not picking people for the right reasons. And that is all I'm going to say about that. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. I believe you will win. I am convinced you will win, and we will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win. And, uh, yeah, that was in 2016. Lindsey Graham and John McCain saying it was going to be the year of offense. Now their wishes have finally come true. Okay, next topic. Next topic. What I, I earlier was talking about government efficiency and how because we don't put the right people working for the government as employees, we will never become more efficient. We will only become less efficient. When I say efficient, I mean the amount of output that gets done in relation to the amount of input that gets provided. Because remember, the government doesn't earn money. They can borrow it and they can tax people. That's all they can do. They can't raise the prices. They can only raise taxes. And here's one of the perfect examples that I thought of whenever I thought, man, why is it that they, they're they so inefficient, right? There, there's four ways you can spend money. You could spend your money on yourself. You could spend your money on someone else, you can spend someone else's money on yourself, and you can spend someone else's money on someone else. And that's what the government does. They're spending other people's money on other people. 
That is the most careless and reckless kind of spending that, that can be had. So we know that they're not scrupulous with their money because it's not their money and it's just giving to other people and it makes everyone's life better. But another thing that they do is they fail to adopt technology. They don't they don't innovate. They're not motivated to find a more efficient way to do things because because their pay isn't based on their efficiency or their performance or the fact that they went out and established a new program to save a bunch of money. And think about it. Think about it from a uh, from your own perspective, right? Let's just say you work for a company and fax machines come out. And all of a sudden, your boss comes in with this new fax machine. It was probably 1991, 92, maybe even 80s, late 80s. They plug the fax machine in. They plug it in the wall, plug the phone in, stick it on the desk, and they wait for orders to come across the fax machine. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward maybe like, eight to ten years and people are starting to do email and then the boss figures out wow if i get into this whole email and thing i can communicate faster than fax i don't have to keep up with the paper i don't have to worry about the thermal paper turning black and being all rolledy uppy and have to deal with the fact that it won't unroll i don't have to deal with the phone line being tied up you know this this whole email thing's way better but what does the government do what do they look at they look at it like well you know, if we just if we need to receive more more information at one time, we just get multiple fax machines. And that's only after X number of years of everyone else having fax machines but them not having one. So there there's a big lag there between when when other businesses adopt a technology and become proficient with it and when the government does. And because of this, because of the fact that they cannot innovate and they do not adopt new technology, on top of that, they don't cut old technology. They continue to keep things around. If you look at any government employee's email signature, I'd be willing to bet it has a freaking fax machine number on it. it has a fax machine. Why? Because they don't have a reason to cut it. It doesn't matter if they save 40 bucks a month for their phone line. It doesn't matter. That fax machine probably gets routed to an email. But since they've always had a fax machine and... You know, Mr. Smith that lives out on Farmer Market Road 917, he, he don't have nothing but a fax machine. So we've got to keep this fax machine around. And and maybe that's an extreme example because there's people out there going, Yeah, but certain people don't have any way to communicate other than fax machine and mail and carrier pigeons. So we have to make sure to accommodate everybody. But I disagree. I think there's a time... You get cut off. You can't bring a stone tablet in, right? We all know that. Why are we still messing with fax machines? You know, there's got to be some something that tells somebody if they try to fax to a number that it didn't go through. But the whole point of this is that they not only do they not innovate, but when they do innovate and it's 10 years behind the rest of the country, they fail to cut out the former technology. And all this is just a strain on time and energy and resources and it all adds up and i don't know what it would take or if it's even possible to have a government that's run like a country and i know it may sound ruthless but i'd be okay with it i would be okay with someone taking control or a group of people taking control and saying you know what we're going to run this thing like a business 
We're going to save money. We're going to cut spending. We're going to create profits, which is really tax cuts or paying off the debt. And yes, people are going to lose their jobs. Some people are going to get replaced by AI. But we can't maintain this giant group of inefficiency for a small portion of the population to have jobs. We would be better off paying them to stay home. Look, we're taking your job from you, all right? You were making $65,000 a year. We're going to give you $35,000, and you can stay home. If you can't find another job, here's $35,000. If you can find another job, here's $35,000. When you die, you're going to get this for the rest of your life. When you die, nobody gets it. It goes away. So make the best of the rest of your life. Here's thirty-five grand a year forever, and enjoy it. Go enjoy yourself. You're being replaced by a robot. Now, those numbers could be completely wrong. We may not be able to afford that, but I do feel like there is a threshold at which people would take it. There's a there's a number there that we can say, hey, we can save this much money if we do this, and we won't need workers. Okay, well, let's go to those workers and say, hey, how much would it take for you to retire early? And we can find that equilibrium. We can find that balancing act. And it may cost a little bit of money now, but it's going to save years down the road. And I think that one thing that we do poorly here in the U.S. and they is think about the long-term future, right? We're always concerned about the next election cycle and the four- or five-year plan. We don't think about the 30-, 40-, and 50-year plan. Something that China does really well is that they plan for long-term, and we don't. We just try we, we just try to get reelected. That's pretty much it. We try to make sure that money flows to our friends and goes back into the industry where we came from or where we know people or where our dad knows people. We make sure the money goes in the right directions. We make sure we get reelected. And that's it. That that's what motivates our politicians. Except for a few people. You know, I hope Rand Paul he, he might be one of them, but you know, this at this point for sharing your opinions, you're labeled an extremist. And that has us in a precarious situation because the types of people who are leaders are also the types of people who stand in their opinions and they share their opinions. The types of people who are used car salesmen like Joe Biden, they don't have opinions. They'll say one thing one year, then deny they said it and say something else the next year, depending on who donated money to their campaign. And that's why we get these people. That's why we get these these guys that can't make a decision on how to deal with the Ukraine war. And they don't have the guts to say, hey, here's what we're going to do about COVID. Here's how we're going to handle it. They say, well, we're waiting and relying on information from the experts. You know why? Because they don't want to piss anyone off. You know why? Because they want to get reelected. That's it. It's all about getting reelected. He couldn't have done it without you. I wrote the bill. That's the only way you can find room to pay for it. Everybody benefits. Pay them more. Why does he whisper? So creepy. Okay, man, I got to come up for air sometimes. I've been doing a lot of yipping and a yapping. Phone's been ringing. You didn't hear that, but I've been told we are out of meat at the brewery. We no longer have any more barbecue left at 3 o'clock, which is weird because we close at 8. We sold out of meat in four hours, you know? Lots of people say, well, that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Sell out of meat. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. But either way, we're out of meat, and you missed a phone call. Next thing I'm going to talk about, and I this is uh, the first time I've talked about this particular incidentation, and there's a reason for that, because I don't like to jump on the mainstream news bandwagon. I like for smoke to clear. I like to understand some 
facts and some research and the, the data presented by all the scientists that we're supposed to trust. And so we, we got this huge rail car, the rail car spill of 2023. I wish I could write songs. I'd write a funny song about the great rail car reaction of 2023. And I think I could be wrong, but I think I've kind of come to an epitome about the great rail car explosion of 2023. And that is if if this thing would have happened an orange man would have been president, what what would it look like? What what would be the difference? And if you agree with me on what I'm about to explain to you, that's good. I think we're we're making progress if you agree with me. If you don't, well, then that's your that's your prerogative. Pero, that's your pierogi. And here's what I think, okay? This is just real talk. This is just just me and my stupid redneck knuckle dragon construction worker, gun toting red-blooded American, this is what I think, all right? I think if that train would have fallen off the tracks, if Trump were president, which it would have, right? There's nothing different about the train tracks regardless of who's sitting in the Oval Office. Just like the the electrical plant in Texas would have froze even if old Beta Rourke was the governor of Texas. Doesn't matter. Okay, so let's just say Trump's president. The train falls off the tracks, Okay. Everything spills everywhere. What would be, who would take what side, right? We all know, let me back up a little bit. If you haven't followed the story, where we are is you've got everyone, Tucker Carlson's um, cult on the right, and all of the left cult featuring Don Lamont and Rachel Maddow and all these people, they're taking two sides of this, this event, which I don't know why, the fact that they've got to split up over this is incredible, but they've got to split up over this. Got one side saying, well, the president needs to do something. There's a reason why this train crashed, and they got to, they need to get in there and figure it out and clean it up and take care of those people. This is just irresponsibility on the part of Joe Biden. Okay, that's the right. Then you got the left going, look, it's not a big deal. This happens. There was a 1,000 train accidents last year. No matter who was in president, the same thing would have happened, right? But had Trump been president or another Republican, I guarantee you, without a doubt, that the people who are screaming about the train crash from an environmental perspective and how it's going to kill all the fish and kill all the trees and poison our drinking water and make our soil infertile would have been the left. It would have been the left and you would have had the right saying look this is business things happen things crash luckily in our country things don't happen or crash very frequently every now and then we have an oil spill every now and then people get shot every now and then a train crashes and somewhat dangerous chemicals leak on the ground and that's so apparent to me like there's no way to prove it right there's no way to to say if uh, that's right or wrong Unless another train crash happens after we have a Republican president in a short amount of time, and then in which case somebody would find some differences between the two incidents, and you don't have a, an accurate representation. But I fully believe, with every ounce of my heart, that had a different person been in the office, everyone would take the opposite side of the coin. And if that's true, if you agree with me, 
then you can also agree that we're, be, we're we're divided beyond repair. That we have we have been split in two by a huge wall, the brick wall that goes all the way up into the atmosphere, and we are forced to get on one side of that wall or the other side. And guess what? We don't pick it. We don't pick. We're told. We're told what side of that wall to get on. And this is no different than deities in, in books of religion telling the followers and telling the people how to react to certain situations and what to do and what to say and how to think. No, I'm not criticizing religion. I'm a Christian. But I am saying that people have become so passionate about which side of a, a topic to get on that they're not willing to think for themselves. You know, I'd be okay if people would say, well, you know what? I'm just a Republican. I'm going to say whatever the Republicans tell me to say, and I feel that way from a heart of hearts. I trust them more than myself. I don't have the time and the ability to go do research. I just feel better about it this way. Or, no, you know what? I'm a liberal, and I want to side with the liberals. I will pick their side no matter what on anything. But no one does that. They're willing to argue a point. They use the same talking points that everyone else uses, but none of them are being critical. They're not thinking critically about the situation. And if we could just zoom out, just zoom out. I think the politicians were up there on this zoom out perspective, smoking cigars, high-fiving each other, when we're throwing rocks at each other over that wall. You know, it's just a, it's a sad state. But I really do feel like this is where we are. And, and honestly, I haven't gotten worked up about the train. I just, I kind of think to myself, okay, like the train crashed. You know, trains crash. Now, if they did something wrong, if they had been carrying a substance that they didn't have some permit for and they crashed and the substance spilled out all over the floor, well, the issue there is why do we have companies operating without permits that they're supposed to have? Even though I think the permits are probably stupid, and if I learned all the details, I would probably say we don't need a permit for that. These crashes don't have frequent, happen frequently enough. But I don't know, so I'm not going to say that. I mean, would it be so wrong for someone to say, hey, listen, we just had these, this train crash and these chemicals spilled. The last time this happened was 20 years ago, okay? We're not going to jump and make a knee-jerk reaction to make laws and regulations and legislations. But what we are going to do is we're going to say, hey, if this type of crash happens X amount of times in X number of years, we will. We will do this, and we will do that. We will require this, and you will have to have this kind of insurance. Because if we can set numerical parameters, we can set, we can set a, a, point of a set of data out there and say, hey, if we fall within these parameters, we're going to have to do something. But we don't. Something happens one time, and we're off making laws about it. And this is why a lot of bills are named after people. Because one person had one bad incident, and they took it all the way to the top. And because it's hard for politicians to speak out against something that arouses the emotions of the public, they're not willing to shoot it down. They're willing to just go with it. Because, once again, it's all about getting re-erected. Creepy dough currency. Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff. I want to know where to go, like. I want the gold. Give me, Give me the gold. gold. I want I the gold. gold. <laughs> oh, man. I was talking to my accountant the other day through email. 
And I, she said something about, hey, what was this purchase for? And I, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. And I go, oh, we bought some gold. And I said uh, something about, like, everybody see a leprechaun say, yay. And she just wrote back, like, I don't know. How, however they expressed laughing in emails. She she remembered the video. She'd seen it. And she even had a shirt with a leprechaun sketch on it saying, like, something like, I want the gold. To me, it looked like a leprechaun to me. I got to do look up in the tree. Who else seen the leprechaun say, yay? Yay! <laughs> Leprechauns and trees in Mobile, Alabama. Man, I love the internet. Okay, back to the real world. No more, no more leprechauns. All right. Uh, next topic. I did something this week that I generally, not generally, I just don't, I don't like to do it. I've said it before. I'm a creature of habit. I like my routines. I like to know what time I'm gonna wake up and what I'm gonna go do and what time I'm gonna be home. You know, I, I'm like a dog. I get. The more scheduled my life is, the happier I am, the, the less things I have to worry about and things I have to get done. I don't like to drive around and run errands. I don't know why, but I just do, I do not like to spend my time doing like mundane things. It's just, it's just how I'm wired. Nonetheless, every now and then, I've got to get a haircut. <laughs> and so I end up procrastinating for like three weeks. From the time that I say, man, I need to get a haircut. To the time that they all my hairs get cut is about three weeks. And, you know, it ends up saving me money, I'm sure, because I probably only get, like, a haircut every seven weeks or so. But I've got a little barber shop that I go to. Every now and then somebody comes and works at the brewery who also cuts hair, and they'll cut my hair every now and then. And I like it because I don't have to go anywhere to get my hair cut. But right now we don't have any people who are gainfully employed that can also cut hair. So I go to Jack's Barber, an old man. I think he's in his 80s, which, hey, you're qualified to cut hair in your 80s. You just can't lead the country, okay? So Mr. Jack, Jack's Barber, to take cash only. they got an old barber pole on the outside. We always talk about, we talked about tamales and brisket. We talk about his dogs. He's got like seven chihuahuas. And, I, and you know, whenever I get there and I sit down in the chair, I enjoy the conversation. He hits, hits me with a straight razor, all the things. But what's funny is the the dynamic in barbershops. And if you, this may happen in, well, as my grandmother used to call them, as Nana used to call the beauty shop. She's called, I'm going to go go to the beauty shop. And I don't remember how frequently she went to the beauty shop, but I feel like it was quite often. So anyway, this may happen at the beauty shop. But for sure, at male barbers, this is how it goes down, okay? So you walk in there, you end up at your seat. Somehow or another, they ask you, Hey, uh, you want first available, or do you have a preference on who cuts your hair? I'm a first available guy. I don't need to go back to the same person every time. I'm not willing to wait for an extra haircut or two ahead of me. I want my hair cut, and I want to get out of there. ASAP. So I walk in, in this old barbershop, there's no desk. There's no um, like reception area. There's no podium. You just walk in and sit down. And I guess they know who who's supposed to cut whose hair you know i don't know but i've only had the, the old man jack and one other guy has cut my hair there's normally two or three sometimes four guys in there but what i do and this is i kind of going out of order here but what i do with barbers is i tip them big i tip them big and here's why i want them to put me ahead of the line and so my strategy at barbers is to never say who who i want right i don't ever get to pick 
who, who which person I want to go to. And so I don't want to do that. So I tip big. Whoever gets me gets a big tip. Then the next time when they go back, they hopefully see me and they hopefully remember oh, that's the guy who tips big. And if they have another person who's also indifferent on who they get, I think that they'll pick they'll put me ahead of them. I don't know. I could be wrong. You know, I could be wrong, but I kind of feel like so there was a guy sitting in the barbershop. I walk in there, I tell both the barbers who are in there, tell them, hey, how's it going? How's it going, Mr. Jack? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? Go ahead. You know, I'm gonna sit down right here. I sit down across the room. Well, my normal barber finished up with a guy and he walked off. And he went and grabbed me and set me down. And I'm like, wow, I just got moved ahead of that guy. And maybe it's because that guy had requested the other barber. And that could very well be it. But I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But I feel like if there's any chance of getting bumped to the front line, it's if you tip big. You tip big. I mean, a haircut these days, I don't know if you know, but a haircut costs $21 to get your haircut. It takes eight minutes, maybe ten, to do all the cutting. I don't know. I know barbers aren't getting rich. I get it. But, man, that just brings inflation to light. $21 for a haircut. I bet you by the time I'm 60, it'll be 40. 42, something like that. Crazy. I remember growing up, I think it was $6.99 for super cuts. And listen, hey, I don't understand guys who go to, like, expensive haircutters Unless you make your living on TV or showing your face or with your hair or whatever, then I get it. But if you're just a regular dude with a regular job, just go get a cheap haircut. There's there's nothing different between the way that supercuts can cut your hair and somebody else can cut your hair. If you're if you're willing to pay like double the market price for a haircut to go to the same person, just admit that you like going there for some other reasons, right? You're not just going there for a haircut. You either think she's cute or you like the atmosphere. Just admit why you're willing to pay extra. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Let me tell you something. After dark, we all look Mexican right down the street. Not me, Reverend. I don't look Mexican. I got red hair. I've known a couple redheaded Mexicans, but not many. Most of them got that Spanish blood, that sangre de España. Or I guess I should say, España. Because they kind of they leave their asses out of stuff randomly in Spain. I don't know why, but they do. Okay, last topic. I spent a lot of time Joe Biden pinata today, so I'm not going to do any more bashing on Joe Biden or Kamala or any of these other people. I'm going to talk about something that I frequently use as an example to illustrate just how different our minds work. And I can't take credit for coming up with this. I read it in a book. I think the name of the book was called how the mind works, and it broke down all of the little things in our lives that cause our brains to malfunction or hiccup or misfire. It addresses things like, dude, I just had my keys. I ju- they were just here in my pocket. Then they were on the counter, and they're gone. I have no idea. You know what I'm talking about. Dude, where is my pen? I was just writing. I had my pen Right here, it's got yeah, all those things that happen to us. You're not the only one. It happens to everybody. But the book addresses how how the mind deals with these things and how how our current state of being 
is so much more intense and we have to keep up with so many more things than what we did a thousand years ago. And so the theory of this book is that our minds have not adapted, <laughs> I almost said adaptated, our minds have not adapted to the change in our lives, right? Think back to caveman days. What did a caveman have to keep up with? His club, his wife, and occasionally scratching some things on some walls. He had to keep himself clothed. And that's about it, right? Didn't have a lot to keep up with. Fast forward to the late 1700s. Now you got a horse, you got a buggy, you got the, the tack for the horse, the saddle, you got the wheels to fix the to repair your buggy, you got tools to keep up with, you got cooking utensils, okay? Now let's fast forward to 1900. You got electricity in your home now, you've got books, you've got keys for cars. You, you're starting to have more and more things to keep up with. Now, fast forward to 2023. Think about how many things we keep up with. We got to have, you know, keys for this and keys for that and passwords for this and backup batteries, all the little things that go into our day-to-day -day life. We have to keep up with things. And the theory of this book, well, the, the, the general premise is that our ability to manage things, numbers of things, has not gotten that much better than a couple hundred years ago. we are Our brains haven't changed that much. I don't like to use the word evolve because I think it's more of an ad adaptation, right? We're, we're, our brains are adapting to the environment, or they should be. But our environment is changing so fast that our brains can't keep up. And so one of the topics of this book is called the junk drawer. And it's, it's basically talks about how everyone has a junk drawer. Everyone has a junk drawer, and the things that are inside the junk drawer can be different in every household. But our mind tells us, hey, we need a place to keep things that don't belong anywhere else. And by doing that, we create a system or a place where they do belong. Now, in my case, I've got like three junk drawers and a junk cabinet. I mean, I've got a whole cabinet full of junk. And, I, you know, I just, because my brain's telling me, there's nowhere else for this to go. Oh, I'll put it in the junk cabinet. And so when you go to someone's house, one person's junk drawer might have scissors and the other person might not. The scissors might be with all the um, the silverware. Another person's junk drawer might have stamps in it, but the, another person might have their stamps in their office desk, right? So a lot of times there's no right or wrong. There is no right or wrong way to organize a junk drawer. You just organize it based on what works for you. And I think that it's good to maintain sight of these types of things whenever we're debating or discussing or taking a, a contrarian viewpoint to, to a discussion or an opinion and understand that it's not just the way we see things. It's not just how we see and perceive things, but our minds are actually different. The way that we categorize things and organize them and label them and structure them is different between every single person. Now, there are some things that you could say every single person, every junk drawer in America has this, or the highest percentage has this, you know, things like batteries. But for the most part, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see. I wish there was a way to organize data and and get people survey them to see the items that are in their junk drawer and see if there's any two junk drawers that have the exact same items in them. 
Now, most of them will share a lot of common things, but probably there's no two that are 100% identical. If they are 100% identical on items, definitely quantity of items throws that off. So it could be likely that you and I have the exact same things in our junk drawer, but if we do, it would be unlikely that we have the same number of paper clips and the same number of staples and the same number of stamps, right? So if we look at both of those factors, we can agree every junk drawer is different. Every mind is different. The way that our minds organize things, it's all different. And sometimes it's just a matter of our opinion. And the, the, the most we can do is stand on our opinion and support and come up with reasons. Well, I've got a flathead screwdriver in there, and I don't have a Phillips head screwdriver in there. And the reason for that is I keep the Phillips head screwdriver by my desk where I have a screw that always gets loose. And so I don't want to have to get them. You know, you see, there's always a reason. We should always have a reason as to why our junk drawer or our lives or our opinions are organized in a certain way. And I think that if you can maintain that, if you can maintain the ability to explain why you think the things you think, the better off it is for communication. It's not, and the less likely we become beholden to the division of of our population by the media and the legacy media and the social media because we can explain why we feel the way that we feel. And once you can explain why you feel how you feel, and once someone else can explain why they feel the way that they feel, then it's easier to come to terms we will never agree. We will never find common ground. And that's okay. If you can recognize that you'll never find common ground on a topic, then you can say, hey, there's no point in us ever even talking about this. And and while we have differing opinions, if neither one of us are willing to, to give up anything, well, let's talk about things that we can agree on. And then you get to decide, how close do I want to be to somebody who doesn't share X number of opinions with me? And that is it. And then that's what you base your criteria on for the people you surround yourself with. I've got a really close friend of mine who I look up to and I admire him. He's a great business person. He's got a good heart, does good things for people. He looks out for the best interests of his employees. But he freaking voted for Joe Biden, you know, and it blows my mind. He's a, he's a capitalist. He understands hard work. He understands the meaning of physical labor and organization. And it's just like every other thing about the guy. I could get on board with, but he voted for Joe Biden and he has his reasons. He can explain them to me. And because he's done that, I'm okay with it. I'm fine. Just like I'm fine with Bernie Sanders wanting to make it rain healthcare on everyone at the expense of billionaires and millionaires because he knows why he feels that way. And so uh, to me, I just thought it was a, an interesting concept to bring up. And it's, uh, I'll probably refer to it as the junk drawer concept, right? Learn how your junk, it's hard to, I want to say junk drawer, junk drawer is organized so you can explain it to people. And it takes some introspection. You might have to look at your junk drawer and say, why do I have paracord in there? Do I need it? Do I need to have that in there? And if you do that and you understand why you have the things you have in there, then when it comes time to exchange ideas with someone, you can tell them, this is why I have that in there. Obviously, I'm not being literal about the junk drawer. I'm talking about your set of opinions and your beliefs and your values. So, yeah, I would encourage everyone 
to look inside your values, understand why why they are the way they are, be able to explain them to people. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you can you can even say things like, you know, I feel this way and I and I cannot tell you why. I don't know why I feel this way, but this is how I feel. And I could be convinced otherwise or I maybe I, I couldn't be convinced otherwise. And if that's the case, then that's the case. You can still own your opinions even if you don't know why. From my perspective, I can pretty much tell you why I feel about anything. Or if you ask me how I feel about something, I can tell you why I feel that way. And I know that I'm probably, not probably, I'm, I'm undoubtedly less emotionally driven by most people. And I do not think that that's necessarily a good thing. I think that's... Um, you know, it depends on what you're deciding, but I think when it comes to decisions, there's a good there's a good reason, there's a good argument to have a little bit of an emotional aspect to it. And I'd be willing to admit, I'm willing to admit that I'm not. I, I, I probably lack that more than most people. And the reason that I say that is because emotions will make you think things and you will not know why. And so because I'm probably a little bit less emotionally driven, I, I am more introspective possibly and I can tell you why I feel the way that I feel and so but I do think that in order to be a good communicator it's important that you know why you feel the way you feel because if you don't know why you feel the way that you feel then you can never change it you can never you can never make sure you don't feel that way again you're you're beholden to whatever got you there and you cannot avoid it in the future but when it comes to relationships there's there's a, a larger advantage to uh, to being a little bit more emotionally driven, and I think I think that is it. That is it. Have you ever thought about getting a hammock? You should go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Literally the best hammocks in the world. I even surveyed people over in Norway, and they they agreed with me. They agree with me that my hammocks from Nicaragua are the world's best hammocks. Dot com, Go check it out. Do you own anything that's the best in the world? Probably not. Most people don't. Well, now's your chance to own the world's best hammock at an affordable price. And I don't even feel cheesy pitching my hammocks. You know why? Because I'm that confident in them. I'm that confident that if you order one of these hammocks, you will say, dang, that dude was right. These are the best. They've got to be the best in the world. www.worldsbesthammocks.com and with that, I'm going to close out. I hope everyone has a great week. Appreciate you tuning in, Life in Paradise podcast. I encourage everyone to go out there, speak your mind, do some introspection, learn why you have what you have in your junk drawer and in your own brain. Start advocating to root old people out of politics because their mind goes, and you cannot deny that. Quit selecting people for jobs based on inappropriate prerequisites. Hold our elected officials accountable for being inefficient with our money. Give your barber a big old tip. Whatever you do, do not vote for Joe Biden. And most of all, never stop asking questions.